All right, dismiss our children to Children's Church this time. Invite you to take your Bibles once again, turn to Numbers, Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. And this morning we want to look at the attack of the green-eyed monster. You know what the green-eyed monster is? It's not against you people that have green eyes. <laughs> but when we talk about a green-eyed monster, we're talking about dealing or battling jealousy. There was a lady that walked into a large department store one day, and when she did, all of a sudden camera bulbs flashed and small musical band began to play, and an executive from the store walked up to the lady and pinned a beautiful corsage on her dress, and he gave the woman a brand new $100 bill, and as he did, he said, congratulations for being the one millionth person to walk inside this store. A newspaper reporter who stood by asked the lady, why did you come into the store today? The lady answered, I was on my way to the complaint department. Well, as we come to chapter 12 of the book of Numbers, we find the complaint department is still open. Uh, In chapter 11, it was the people moaning and groaning about the menu and when it, then it was Moses moaning about the moaners. And uh, here we have Miriam and Aaron moaning about Moses. So we'll, we have quite a bit of material to cover this morning, so we'll get right at it. First of all, the criticism of Moses. The criticism of Moses. Look at verse 1 and 2, and we see here, In chapter 12, and Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now Moses had an excellent spirit. He walked with God. Uh, He had God's power upon his life, yet he was still being criticized. Excellence does not give you immunity from criticism, especially spiritual excellence. Christ was the epitome of perfection. But Christ, when he lived here on this earth, was maligned and criticized by men. Criticism is going to come even if you serve the Lord. And it will come especially from those carnal Christians and then especially from unsaved people. John 17 and verse 14 says, I have given thy word. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they were not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Second Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 1 Peter 4, 12-13 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Some of the most painful criticisms will come from those who are closest to us. 
family, friends. David found this out. Psalm 41 and verse 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Now in this situation here in Numbers chapter 12, Moses has an older brother, an older sister, who were complaining, griping at him. Miriam is leading the complaint and the criticism. And you notice she is mentioned first says, and Miriam and Aaron, uh, she's probably the one who will be punished the most severely, as you're going to see. And Aaron, he actually is not a real leader. He's easily influenced by others. You remember the golden calf incident? But they're complaining. And they're complaining about the Ethiopian woman that Moses married. The uh, main questions here at this point are, who is this woman? Is this Zipporah, or is, did she die and Moses married again? Well, one thought concerning this woman is that she is Zipporah, uh, whom he married 40 years earlier, and until recently, Zipporah had not been with Moses, and she was united, reunited with him according to Exodus 18 and verse 2. Uh, she had been left behind when Moses went to Egypt, so Miriam kind of was enjoying some special status in her absence. And she was the first lady, so to speak, uh, the woman closest to Moses. And with the arrival of Zipporah, Miriam's status changed to second fiddle. The Bible says that she was an Ethiopian woman, but Zipporah was a Midianite, according to Numbers 10, verse 29. She could still be considered an Ethiopian and yet uh, be from Midia. One Bible scholar has stated that the descendants of Cush, that is Ethiopia, settled both in Africa, Ethiopia, and in Asia in a section of Arabia called Cush. Another Bible teacher stated that the the land of the Cushites had a section called um, or occupied by the Midianites. And Zipporah could have been the woman that Miriam is complaining about. Uh, They have not known each other very long. And if Zipporah had died and Moses remarried a second time, we're not really told about Zipporah's death. So Moses' marriage to the Ethiopian woman was not forbidden as long as she was not a Canaanite. But be that as it may, we find here the first complaint is a diversion. This happens many times with people, isn't it? Discernment is needed to see the real problem at hand. The real problem for Miriam's complaint is not in the person of the wife. The real issue is the complaint we find in verse 2. It was the position, not the person, but the position or the rank that was sought. Miriam and Aaron wanted more prestige. They wanted to be equal, uh, have equal status with Moses. And this comes after God put his spirit on the 70 men Uh, And these two people are kind of left out at this point. And they felt threatened and they became jealous. You understand where we get our title for the message this morning, where the green-eyed monster attacks. And this is a reference to the green-eyed monster of jealousy that rears its ugly head. And Miriam and Aaron tried to destroy Moses in order to gain power and position. 
And this is a tactic that's practiced today, unfortunately, in many churches. Envy and jealousy has a devastating effect upon our lives and the lives of others. And so for this reason, we would liken it to a monster. The bitterness and the greed of what others possess or have attained work like an acid on the soul. The Bible gives us a picture of the effects of jealousy. Notice with me some effects of jealousy. Number one, we lose delight. Jealousy robs us of our joy. Because of jealousy, the prodigal son's older brother did not rejoice when the prodigal returned home and got right with his dad. Luke 15 and verse 28 says, And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. You know, jealousy is one of the main reasons why Christians become critical and carnal uh, complainers. Uh, These folks uh, cannot enjoy their family or their friends because they're jealous. And when they are confronted, they they tell you, oh, I'm I'm not jealous. Are you sure about that? You know, most people will not admit their jealousy to another person. Secondly, we become difficult. When becoming critical and ungrateful like Miriam and Aaron, we become difficult. In Matthew 20, the laborers were not grateful for the wages that they had received. Matthew 20, verse 12 says, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. So they began to be difficult. Thirdly, we damage our relationship with others. Proverbs 27 verse 4 says, Wrath is cruel, anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Genesis 37 verse 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably unto him. He's talking about Joseph and his brothers. His brothers were jealous. And then it brings disunity. Judges chapter 8 verse 1, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they chide him sharply. Disunity. And then it leads to distress in the home. Genesis 30 and verse 1, And when Rachel saw she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. So there was trouble. There was tension that plagued the home of Jacob. The wives envied one another, which led to further problems, and it leads to problems with members of our families as well, if it's allowed to continue. And then jealousy disrupts spiritual growth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You see, these are things that are going to hinder our spiritual growth. We say, well, I've, I'm not a babe in Christ. No, he's not saying you're a babe. He says, as newborn babes desire. That's the desire you and I need to have for the word of God. But we cannot have it if we have all these things hindering it. Malice, guile, 
hypocrisies, envyings, evil speakings, will stymie our growth, will not give us a desire, not give us a hunger, a thirst for the word of God. Miriam and Aaron attack God's man. Now this is not a sign that they were walking with God. It's interesting to note that they did not want to lead God's people in Egypt. Uh, They weren't uh, ready to lead the people when they were under the threat of Pharaoh. But now they want to have a place of leadership. They want to have uh, the position and the prestige. So you have the criticism of Moses. Secondly, we have the control of Moses. Verse 3. The control of Moses. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Some people think that meekness is weakness. Meekness is fearfulness. Meekness is being feminine. No. On the contrary, meekness is actually strength. Strength under control. Meekness is the ability to keep your tongue in check when being attacked by some unjust criticism. Meekness has faith to trust God to vindicate you. Meekness is submission to the will of God and to his ways. And Moses was demonstrating this attitude in his life. What a tribute to Moses, the meekest man on earth. Some people claim that, well, Moses didn't write this. You know, this is in uh, Moses' writing. And some would say, well, he surely didn't write this. You know, a humble man would not write about this. The fact that Moses was humble and did write this shows the divine inspiration of the Bible. God was telling Moses what to write, and he wrote what God told him to write. The Spirit of God moved Moses to write this. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. The prophecy, the the word of God did not come by what they thought they should write. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Moses also recorded his anger and his sin in in chapter 20, as we'll see later on. But notice thirdly, the conference with the Lord. The conference with the Lord, verses 4 and 5. Here, God deals with the problem. He tells the team to go to the tabernacle, and three things will be done there. Notice in verse 4, it says, And there, these were the names of the tribe of Reuben. Oh, excuse me, I'm in chapter 13. Get back to where we're supposed to be here. And the Lord spake suddenly with Moses and unto Aaron and to Miriam, Come out ye three into the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. I want you to notice here, the first, the divine fellowship of Moses. If we go on to verse 6, it says, And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches and 
The similitude of the Lord shall behold, and wherefore then shall ye not be afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God says, if there is a prophet, I'll reveal myself to him, and I'll do it through uh, a dream. Moses will be spoken to directly without mediation. Moses has seen God's glory. He saw his backside. He heard his voice. According to Exodus 19 and verse 19, it says, And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. Now, because of Jesus Christ, you and I can have fellowship with the Lord. We can know him. How do we know him? Through his word. First John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We may not be able to see him or hear an audible voice, but we have his word which speaks to us and we can know and have fellowship with the Lord. Notice, secondly, the dependability of Moses. Moses, according to verse 7, is faithful. God places a big premium on being faithful. Miriam and Aaron wanted to be equal in rank, but not in righteousness. If they had been more concerned about character instead of calling, it would have been that which would bring blessing to everyone instead of sorrow and heartache and trouble. Now, Aaron, he's weak in faithfulness. The cause of this criticizing was not in the weakness of the one being criticized, that is Moses, but in the faults of the ones doing the criticizing, that is Miriam and Aaron. And if we worry about and focus upon our attributes of character instead of the achievements of attainment, then the achievements will eventually come without sorrow and without grief. You see, God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to be faithful. And he speaks about this all the way through Scripture. What is faithfulness? Well, you find it through Scripture, and first of all, you find the scarcity of faithfulness in Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Secondly, the strength of faithfulness. Proverbs 13 and verse 17, A wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is health. Notice thirdly, the stability, the stability of faithfulness. Psalm 31 and verse 23, O love the Lord, all ye saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully Rewardeth the proud doer. You'd rather be preserved or plentifully rewarded. Well, a proud doer, that reward may not be such a good thing. Fourthly, the Savior's reward for faithfulness is found in Matthew 25 and verse 21. 
For it says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Again, the Bible is very uh, very clear about this, this idea of faithfulness. Notice some of those instructions that we receive in the Bible about faithfulness. First, there's faithfulness in service. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give him them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom the Lord, his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Will the Lord find us faithful? When he comes, faithful in service. Secondly, faithful in stewardship. First Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Did you know faithfulness is a requirement? That's what the Bible says. Faithfulness in statements. Proverbs 14, 5. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. We need to be faithful in our witness. We need to be true in what we say. With the secrets of others, number four, Proverbs 11, verse 13, a talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Sometimes it's good just to be quiet. Not tell everything you know. Sometimes we have people that want to talk too much. I have a grandson that wants to talk too much. He wore us out talking this last week. We had to tell him, be quiet. Well, secrets of others. Sometimes we tell the secrets of others and we're really not helping the matter. We're we're actually uh, making the matter more, more difficult by gossiping. Number five, in supporting others. Third John 1 5 says, Beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. We need to support one another. We need to try to meet the needs of others, not just physically, but spiritually. Number six, in strengthening and in challenging others. Proverbs 27, six, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful in small things. Luke 16, 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And then number eight, Faithful in sharing a message. Proverbs 25, 13, As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refresheth the soul of his masters. So we find here the divine fellowship. We find the dependability of Moses. He was a faithful man. But thirdly, we find the departure of the Lord. Verse 9. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. 
God was angry with Miriam and with Aaron. And to presume a calling of God is very dangerous business. Some people want the position. They want the power of leadership, but they don't want the responsibility that goes with it. Listen, don't try to do something God never called you to do. And don't rebel against the Lord when he calls you to do something. So we have these these areas of this conference that the Lord has with these three. The divine fellowship of Moses, the dependability of Moses, and the departure of the Lord. Then it brings us to the chastening of Miriam in verse 10. The chastening of Miriam. Verse 10, it says, And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. You know, sin is appealing to man, but it's appalling to God. Miriam is stricken with leprosy, which is a living death where the skin and the muscles began to decay and become deformed. And it says here that Aaron looked upon Miriam. Her face was affected by the disease. Her foul tongue was punished with a foul face. Earlier, Moses had to veil his face because of the glory and the glow, but now Miriam would veil her face because of its gruesomeness. Sin destroys your countenance. Miriam was struck because she led in the transgression against Moses. Aaron was a follower. God puts a difference between those who mislead others and those who are misled. The incident reminds us again that attacking God's man is dangerous and risky. Psalm 105 and verse 15 says, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Moses is doing what God commanded him to do. And if he was out of line, the Lord would deal with him. And he does deal with Moses later uh, by forbidding him to enter into the promised land. uh, Moses was not perfect. He was a godly man, but he wasn't perfect. He did some things that he shouldn't have done, and God would deal with him. Now God chastens Miriam, and he chastens you and me today for a variety of reasons. But let's talk about the chastening of the Lord for a moment. Notice with me the purpose of God's chastening. Number one, it's to do penitence. I didn't say penance. Okay, so you former Catholics, don't get upset. I said penitence. God chastens us to correct us and bring us back into fellowship with him and into obedience to his word. The chastening is to bring us to a point of repentance When God chastens us, he's not only disciplining us, but he's trying to train us and instruct us. In Psalm 94 and verse 12, David says, Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teaches him out of thy law. The word chastenest there in this verse is the same word as instruct in Isaiah 8 and verse 11, where it says, For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. You see, God uses chastening to instruct us on what crowd we should not be following. 
Uh, is the crowd you're running with helping you or hurting your relationship with the Lord? If you if they have a bad influence upon your life, then you need to consider finding some new friends that can be a blessing to you instead of a curse. But God also uses chastening to give us discernment and discretion. The Bible says in Isaiah 28 and verse 26, for his, for his God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. Again, that word chastening in Psalm 94, 12, same Hebrew word as correct in Jeremiah 10, 24. O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. You know, we have a tendency to forget the Lord and just kind of go on our merry way. And before we know it, we're in trouble. David admonishes us not to forget his benefits. God uses chastisement to get us back into the Bible and to teach us his truths. And David confirms this in Psalm 119, verse 67. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. In verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, and that I might learn thy statutes. In verse 35 of Psalm 119, he says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. And so God uses chastening to bring us back to himself. You see, the fact that we strayed away from him is what got us in trouble the first, in the first place. And he uses his chastening to drive away foolishness in our life as a father does as he punishes his disobedient child. And so we're not to hate the Lord when he spanks us. Instead, we're to learn from it. Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12 says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And so the question is, is the Lord chasing you right now to bring you back to a point of repentance and draw you back to himself? If so, get your life right with him and draw close to him. So not only does he chasten us to penitence, but also to probe our heart, to probe our heart. The second purpose of God's chastisement is to get us to examine ourselves and to see if there's anything in our life that we need to get right with God or with others. Paul admonishes us in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Someone has said, form a habit Excuse me, form the habit of heeding his taps, and you will less be less likely to receive his raps. You know, when the Lord's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, Hey, you need to get this right, don't let it get to the point where he needs to start hammering on you, okay? Don't ignore the taps of the Lord. The taps are times when you need to look at your life, and if there are corrections that need to be made, then make them. Thirdly, we find that the purpose of God's chastisement is to prove God's love for us. When we are disobedient, God does not chasten us to, be, to disown us, 
but he wants to correct us because he loves us and he wants us to delight in him. As someone has appropriately said, we may feel God's hand as a father upon us when he strikes us as well as when he strokes us. The scriptures confirm the truth of God's love in chastisement. Hebrews 12 verse 5 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 5 says, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart, that is, a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Revelation 3 and verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. And so the purpose of God's chastisement is also then to purify our lives. To purify our life. Now, again, this English word chastisement has its roots in a Latin word, cactus. Means pure. Chastening is to have a purifying effect in our lives and develop us into mature Christians with character, good character. Hebrews 12.10 says, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, that is, your parents or your father, For he for our profit, but that we might be partakers of his holiness. That is, God for our profit, that we might be partaker of God's holiness. The fire of God's chastening can burn the dross of the impurities, the indifference, the iniquity, insurgency against God or toward God from our lives. If we fail to get the message that God is trying to get through to us, we can end up destroying our lives completely. Proverbs ten seventeen. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, and he that hateth reproof is brutish. The word brutish carries the idea of being foolish, stupid, wasted, consumed as fire, burns a piece of paper. It was A.W. Tozer who said, God will wean us from the earth some way. He will do it the easy way if possible, the hard way if necessary. Number five, to produce fruit, blessing, and joy. The farmers will produce, will prune their trees to produce fruit in their crops. And God prunes our sinful habits and hindrances to spiritual growth, to spiritual fruit in our lives as well. Notice then, number five, the confession of sin. You find this in verse 11 and 12. And Aaron said to Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. Aaron admits their foolishness. He says, we have done foolishly. You know, it's easy to look back and see our mistakes, isn't it? It's harder to recognize our foolish plans while we're carrying them out. Do you want to avoid some stupid mistakes? 
If so, then get rid of foolishness and worldly philosophies and ideas and avoid foolish, sinful people. Proverbs 28, 7, Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. Number six, the cry of intercession. Verse 13, And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. Moses doesn't say, Lord, just give it to her. She deserves it. No, he he cries unto the Lord. He returns good for evil. He's an Old Testament example of a New Testament truth. A New Testament truth found in Matthew 5, verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That was what Moses is doing. Again, Romans 12, 14 says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. When you pray for those who've offended you, it'll help guard you against bitterness. Bitterness can can destroy your life. Bitterness can destroy this church. But when we pray for those who've, who've persecuted us, it'll help guard against bitterness. And then number seven, the condemnation of Miriam. In verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people removed from Hazeroth, and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. Now, spitting in the face was considered the ultimate insult. I think you'd probably agree with that if someone spit in your face. The person was considered unclean in this culture for a week. In mercy and in firmness, God quarantines Miriam for a one week. Notice that God did not answer Moses' prayer right away, immediately. Miriam needed a spiritual heart surgery. God uses the deformity of leprosy to humble her, and the isolation and the shame would knock her off her pedestal. And we will not... We're not careful. We don't. We can miss an important truth here. Your sin affects others. You notice here the entire camp was delayed in their journey because Miriam had to be separated for one week. Our sin does hurt other people. Romans fourteen seven says, "For none of us liveth to himself." And so the rebellion in God's people always causes a hindrance in the progress of God's people. And this incident is so important that God does not want us to forget it. Deuteronomy 24 verse 9 says, Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam by the way after that year come out forth out of Egypt. Remember it. Remember what happened to Miriam. Beware of the green-eyed monster of jealousy. 
And I trust that even here in the Old Testament, passage like this can teach us a great truth for right here and now. Let's bow in prayer.